Real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio. By the way, let's go to our good friend, Sarah Horgan from the Echo Live, who joins us. Sarah, hi. Good evening to you. Hi, how are you? God, it is freezing, Sarah. Free. I went outside there for a quick cigarette. I shouldn't be promoting that on the air. By the way, can I just say cigarettes are bad? But I went outside, and my God, the rain is coming. It's inclement out there, and it would freeze the you-know-whats off a of brass you-know-what. You're telling me I'm sitting in the car because I'm afraid that my child will wake up if I am anywhere in the house. She just senses it. Right. <laughs> I, had to, I had to drive away from the house. Her granny's in there, so it's okay. She's not on her own. But it's freezing. You're right. Yeah, it is. My extremities feel like they're going to snap off at any moment. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about <laughs> good, uh, fingers, good, toes good to and know. stuff. Okay. Oh, okay. good to know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I'm reading here, by the way, from your email, because Sarah sends me little notes. Obviously, you know, that's how professional we are. Sarah sends me little notes as to what she's going to talk about. But it says explainer. Now, there's an explainer in this week, Sarah. And, and I, maybe you should explain the explainer. What's it, the equivalent to mansplaining? Do you know the way they talk about mansplaining? Am I womansplaining? Yeah, womansplain me there. Go on, you explain the explainer. Okay, so you know the holly bow. Of course you, you know the holly bow. Do you know the holly bow or is it just no, cork? It's I think that's just oh. a cork thing. I, I have no idea what the holly bow is. Explain what the holly bow is. Oh, the holly bow has been around for hundreds of years, over 100 years anyway, and it's a supplement that um, goes with the echo. It comes out um, every year. Okay. Um, John, John Dolan is at the helm the last, the last good few years now, and he spends his whole year just slaving over this holly bow. And we always say he goes to the printing press in Dublin. Actually, there's a Dublin link to, yeah. um, to see it coming out in print. And we always act like it's a baby. We'd say to him, oh, was it a long, um, <laughs> was it a long labor? How was the delivery? Congratulations. <laughs> so this is why we're so excited about it. But it's, it's almost like a, a, it's, a, it's a really thick supplement. And it's almost like a, a history book. But all, there's all these really quirky stories. So this week is going to be like a, a core history lesson with a twist, I suppose. Okay, so they've been doing this traditionally since 1897. It's become a kind of festive staple in Cork City. Now, not that John has been doing it since 1897. He's not that old. But obviously he's taken over the helm of doing it, as you say. And one of the stories in it is a story in the Hollybell details how a well-known Cork character in the, in the 1800s lost his life to a cruel and heartless prank. The poor soul. Yeah, his name was Harry Badger, and if you took a walk down South Main Street in the early 1800s, you'd come across this really striking character. So he'd be parading around in this bright red coat and these yellow breeches, and he had this large brass helmet on his head. So he was this gentle giant, you might say, really towering figure, but harmless. But these little thugs at the time, they would often tease, tease him and they tried to take his helmet. So do you know what he did? He fixed these tall iron spikes to it so that, that they wouldn't be able to go um, near this helmet. So as if he wasn't drawing enough attention to himself at that point, he, he added these big spikes to it as a form of protection. And he was really popular. I'll get to the prank, by the way. No, he okay. was really popular with, with artists who would sketch him. 
such like the um, Echo Boys today, they 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 become iconic in Cork Echo. imagery anyway. Echo, yeah, you're getting it. Mm-hmm. And he, and a lot of people would would hang him on the on the walls, um, pictures of him on the walls. And I'll I'll tell you about the prank now. So it this this used to happen all the time. So we we wouldn't have thought this was anything out of the ordinary, but it was to end in absolute tragedy. This group of um young young lads, they invited him into a public house in South Main Street and brought him a jug of porter. Just as he put it to his lips, one of the tricksters, they dropped a live mouse in. Oh, Harry no. failed to notice, and in one gulp, he downed the, por- the porter oh. and, and the mouse. The rodent. I don't, I don't know how that could have happened. Is this the, yeah. Um, but, they, but they gave how it loud How was your drink and... about not knowing about it? I mean, surely you'd notice <laughs> something. You'd know that maybe it was Something you'd notice, something furry going down your throat. <laughs> and, okay, this part is true anyway, right? So he also had this huge appetite, even though he claimed he had no taste buds. And his favourite dish was tripe. So he was getting this with the, the mouse afterwards. The, the mouse should have been to wash it down. But this gang of youths, they cut strips of leather. They boiled them in milk with onions and gifted this large pot to Harry, who obviously thought, oh, this is a peace offering. This is great. Right. No more yeah. pranks. And delighted with what he thought was tripe, he took it and spent two days devouring it. After the swallowing the last bit, he died. Ah, oh, God bless him. Jeez, that's that an sounds awful like that's like to happen to it him. It is. That's just like murder, isn't it? Really? It is. But in the eighteen hundreds, everything was, was different. Fair of course, game, yeah. wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> it was fair game, I suppose, to some degree. Yeah, I suppose. But it just sounds horrendous. I'm still concerned about how a mouse would get down your throat without you knowing about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, okay, let's forget that part. Just, yeah. yeah, I know. The death is the more well, important part, bit here. Part, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. wait, have, you ever, have you ever eaten tripe, Sarah? Um, I don't think so. No, it's Maybe despicable. I have. I, I've, no, I've looked at it. I haven't actually eaten it, but I've looked at it. It's despicable. It's vile. I don't know how people could eat tripe. I like liver. Nobody else likes oh, liver no. except for me. But the, the, there's something wrong with people who eat kidneys and livers. You know what I mean? Liver. Uh, yeah. Kidney, like people, um, ki- I'm sorry, but kidney tastes like pee. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't tasted kidney, but liver is nice. I, I could. Um, Do you know when you get a steak yeah. and kidney pie and you have to weed out all the kidney bits? You know? Never eat a steak and, and, and liver has and an odd quirk. Oh, livers. My mother used to give us liver when we were kids when she was stuck for money. But she, because she'd get it free off the butcher probably or something. But it's an odd taste off it. It's like this kind of velvety, leathery taste off it, isn't there? Yeah, I think if I actually stopped to think about what I was eating, I probably, yeah. Yeah. Would, yeah, hate it. But, um, okay. Well, yeah, okay. liver. Yeah. Speaking of bits medical and stuff like that, former medical student, do you like that segue? Wasn't that good? Did you see the way I went from livers and kidneys to this former medical student? Anyway, uh, former medical student Paul O'Brien shed light on one of the strangest accident and emergency cases he has ever encountered. I've read about some strange ones, but this is probably going to be equally as strange. Okay, in the autumn of 1956, Seamus O'Donoghue, um, 
who was later to become one of Cork's leading, leading pediatricians and um, this guy, Paul, they were sharing the elective. Um, so he was, uh, Paul was uh, on a placement as a medical student at the time. So that was in the elective in, elective in the accident room at the North Infirmary. And this young man arrived and asked to see a male doctor. This request usually involved a case of what was an unofficially known as the clap. And this is written by Paul himself. He said, okay. what did I say? The pla- is it the clap? <laughs> yeah, okay, the clap. I'm the just clap. No, the clap, the clap. I think I said it backwards. Oh, oh the clap. Oh, the clap. <laughs> the clap. <laughs> All right. The clap. All right, we know now what you're talking where we're going here. Now go on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I won't answer it. So they welcomed such patients at the time as there was an unofficial private practice among the students in treating those, you might say, too shy to be followed up at the public health clinic. Mm. Um, so they were afforded that anonymity, and that was param- paramount and could be assured by being treated privately. So mm. there was a modest fee of 10 shillings and a course of penicillin administered in confidence, and that's it. This mm. did the trick, but mm. um, the, clap. the case. Yeah, but, oh, this was this was quite different, actually. This is a bit more complex. So this case came in 1956. The initial examination revealed a markedly swollen distal penis constricted halfway up by a fair-sized metal washer, and it transpired that the patient had a job in a local metalworks. And he and his colleagues were discussing the ever fascinating topic among men of the size of the male organ. <laughs> Go on. was the order of the day, he said. And the the young guys decided to adopt a scientific method. Right, like you would, like when you go into jewellers and you put those little rings on your finger to get the size of your finger. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot like that. Yeah. But it's different. <laughs> yeah. And. They would arrive at an objective, accurate measurement by putting metal washers readily available in their place of, of course, work yeah. of, different, of different diameters <laughs> on their manhoods. Uh, I, love the the washer, I love the way you're explaining this, Sarah. <laughs> on their manhoods. It doesn't, it doesn't sound too bad. So what the washer <laughs> on this patient had got stuck and... His manhood had swollen to impressive proportions. (laughs) Impressive. Right. And and panic-stricken, the man had rushed up to the consulting rooms of surgeon Mr. Frank Welton in nearby Patrick's Place. And Frank recalled, when I saw his predicament, I told the man I would cut it off, in um, inverted commas, and he nearly fainted because he thought he was referring to the subject matter. Of course, uh, the manhood. Me- member. Yeah. <laughs> not, 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 not the, the washer. washer. So yeah. the washer he meant. So it gets funnier. Frank advised him to go back to the accident room, but to divert en route to the Cork Iron and Hardware store just across Patrick's Bridge and buy two hacksaw blades. Oh. The young man had been... <sighs> That's how they did it back then. Yeah. The young men have been clutching this brown paper bag and now opened it, opened it to show them the blades and a receipt for them. And Frank duly joined um, Seamus and uh, Paul at the North Infirmary and they all went to the operating theatre 
the patient was put under by this lady anaesthetist who didn't bat an, eye, uh, an eyelid and Frank opened his doctor's bag and produced a hacksaw frame and two pairs of pliers that <laughs> I'm wondering when you're going to stop me this is great oh, keep, keep going, going. <laughs> So the officer, I, I, the we're all we're all envisaging where we all have an image of this situation of the two pliers holding the washer while somebody else is going to start cutting it with his manhood inside us. But go on. Frank put this patient purchase slave in the hacksaw frame and sawed away, and he astonished them all as he did so by keeping up a running commentary on the many his words, not mine, pervert. He had encountered in his practice over the years. And mm. Seamus and Paul never knew Cork was such an interesting place. The yep. offending washer was finally removed and the injured area was dressed and the patient kept under observation until he was ready to be sent home. So mission accomplished. A couple of questions coming yeah. in, by the way. People want to know what the clap is. The clap is gonorrhea for those who don't know what it is, by the way, in case you didn't know what the clap was. And used to call, I don't know why they called it the clap. I have no idea where the name The Clap came from, but it's, it's actually an STD called gonorrhea. And I know somebody who worked at A&E, and still does actually, and she told me one of the most unusual cases that she had to deal with was a man who came in who decided he would make love to a copper pipe. Uh, <laughs> and whilst <laughs> making love to the copper pipe, which was approximately an inch in diameter, um, his manhood, as you refer to it, got stuck because it swole. So he had to be brought into A&E and then brought to an operating theatre where they used a grinder, which is similar, but obviously it's a medical version of it, to literally cut the pipe all the way down without trying to obviously cut his manhood in the process. There you go. Lads, don't be making love to washers or copper pipes, for that matter, because you could end up, as Sarah rightly put it, in A&E like... Paul, poor Paul O'Brien, or should I say the medical student Paul O'Brien describes. Now, a cork man recalled how he learned about sex. There's a, there's a kind of th- a growing theme to tonight's show. Okay, a cork man recalled how he learned about sex as a boy growing up in the 1960s. Yeah, this was uh, Teddy Delaney. Um, at at Farron Ferris, he said he gained a newfound belief that literature was the only true reality, a consequence in turn of his belief that only true literature and reading could he educate and liberate himself. I suppose that was the only way to learn about sex, wasn't it? Yeah, well, true, yeah. Yeah, because there was no porn, really. Well, there probably was if you had, like, a movie. Blue movies. There was blue movies. No, in the nineteen sixties, there was no videos, so you only had. Well, you might have had a. Now there wasn't any cinemas in Ireland that would have shown blue movies, but I suppose they would have had. In those days, people had projectors. Do you remember what a projector was, sir? Yeah. With yeah. a super super eight movie films, like a reel of film, and they would have had them at home for making their own home movies and stuff like that. You know, cine cameras they used to call them, and that was the closest. But it would have been an expensive hobby, I suppose. It, it would have indeed. So the, this guy's hobby was a bit a, a little bit cheaper than that. He he would um he would go to his port of call was Angela McNamara's Agony and Column in the Sunday Press <laughs> in the nineteen sixties, and he described that as his bible. So his interest was aroused when he heard his mother remark that McNamara had sex on the brain. That said, that sounded like a feast of pornography to him. And on Sunday mornings after mass, he'd sneak off into the front room to indulge. 
some of the letters to her were from furious parents and they were the best crack mm. and they what parents used to, there was one parent who said you are aware that there are a lot of decent and innocent boys and girls still in the south of ireland teenagers who have never heard of that filthy expression going too far until they read it in the sunday press you were giving our young people rotten ideas to ponder over i would love to see one someone setting fire to you um, oh and then it it signed off Mother of Ten. They never used their names. <laughs> mother, we did. Mother of Ten. <laughs> she was busy. Yeah, no television in that house. Yeah, yeah, we did. We because we get funny letters too. Um, a few a few years ago, there was someone who said that I shouldn't be telling you the story, but I'll tell you. Um, someone wanted their picture printed in the paper. There's something you can have your picture printed of yourself holding the holly bow in different parts of the world this person sent a letter saying that their picture wasn't printed and that they hoped that a plane would fly into the office and wow. um, burn everybody alive and the funny thing was they actually got a really nice reply to that saying um, if you look uh, have a look on page 8 so <laughs> his photograph actually had been published Wow. And right. uh, he followed up saying, "I, I, I hope you, you, you don't, um, yeah, all you die don't. in a terrible yeah. fire." Yeah, yeah hope the plane doesn't hit you. Yeah, the building exam after all. Yeah. Um, anyway. That was that was the that was the mother of ten anyway, yeah. and there was um, all sorts of problems coming in um, mm. that you you may not have time may or may not have time to hear about. Let me just go to this part of the Holly Bow. It also recalls how a French native was undoubtedly one of the most eccentric Lord Mayors Cork has ever seen. I've seen some eccentric ones only recently. But this was the most eccentric that Lord that Cork has ever seen. Yeah, so in the 17th century, Cork welcomed uh, 300 Huguenots fleeing religious persecution in France. And they thrived in the city's civic and commercial life and produced a number of mayors. And uh, the, in, including this guy, uh, Vivian Pick. Am I pronouncing it? V-E-S-I-A-N. I'm probably pronouncing it I don't see his name here, so I don't know. But I'm assuming you are, because I'm sure you've studied French. No. So before taking the chain of office in 1796, he served as city sheriff. And Pick had a thick French accent and a loose grasp of the English language. So he would lean on his right-hand man, Watty Thornhill, to help him over the language bar- barriers. And one thing he wanted to see more of, um, we're, we're also passionate about certain things. And these days it would be seeing more guards on the street or um, less drugs or whatnot. This guy wanted to see um, more cork dogs with bow ties on their tails. And as mayor, he encouraged dog owners to attach a bow to their dog's tails before letting them out in public. Oh. The brighter the bow, the better. The better, that yeah. was, uh, Just to brighten up Cork City, I suppose. Yeah, and why not? He sure. became mayor. Yeah, he became mayor just as panic um, swept Cork. Um, there was this... Uh, um, uh, this French expeditionary force were sailing towards the coast to aid the United Irishmen in their fight against British rule in Ireland and mm-hmm. 
the mayor wrote a letter to the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland to describe the panic. One line stated, Sir, I am writing this with a pistol in one hand and a sword in the other. <laughs> and determined to keep his city safe from the rebels, he used his own money to pay for extra defences. Isn't that crazy? Wonderful. He I'm... took it from his own pocket. <laughs> I'm still thinking of what a Frenchman living in Cork, you know, it would sound like. Like, would they have kind of a half French accent, half Cork accent? Like, bonjour, no boy. Well, I don't think he even, it, it sounded like he very little English altogether. So I don't think he spoke a word of it, not even boy or the important part. Parlez-vous, boy. Uh, no, that wouldn't. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, see, you could do it better than I could. You know, a French person with a Cork accent. That That would sound strange, wouldn't it? There are a lot more stories just like these entertaining ones. I have to say, it's been a very entertaining Cork stories this week. And they're all in the Holly Bow, which is a supplement, a festive staple in Cork since 1897. And it's available in the Echo Live. And thank you very much indeed, Sarah, for entertaining us with it. I have to say, a little bit risque, but fun. Yeah, yeah, you have to take a risk. No, you, you do, you do. That's, that's what radio is all about. Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio.